Yeah. In Israel, they made it a law that you cannot be outside without a mask. If you're going to make it a law, prove that it's, that it's useful. Shalom, Maureen. Ma shlomecha. Shalom. Ma kore. Kol akavod. How was my Hebrew? That was really great. That was really I've great. And practicing. you got the het. This is something I work on is the het. It's really hard. I've been working on this for about 48 hours in preparation of uh, connecting with you. Good for you. This is really hard. I used to have to take a breath between I say the het or you need to make sure that you're not spitting something out at people like spit or food. That's really good. Right. Very good. You got to be careful so that a bit of hummus isn't uh, falling out of your (laughs) mouth while you're (laughs) carrying on. Well, welcome to the Rex Crim Show, my dear circus, ballet, tap dance, modern jazz, and fitness instructor. I don't know where to begin. Thank you, sweetie. Thank you for having me. Folks that are tuning in and listening, tell us just a little bit about who is Maureen. All right. So I've lived many lives in many different places in the world. Um, Started off as a dancer, as your neighbor in a small little sweet village in Canada. And um, when I was 16 years old, I went to a performing arts high school in Ottawa, took it a little further and then um, got the travel bug. I started to do fitness classes and travel to places like Jamaica. I worked on a cruise ship for a few months. Um, and then I got into the hotel scene. I started to do fitness in a hotel in Turks and Caicos, um, got addicted to circus, fell in love with my husband, and uh, then just kind of flew to different places like Mexico, Brazil, and we ended up in Israel. Um yeah, that that's the the physical part. I also am an advocate for plastic free toxin free living. So I make all of my own um, like deodorants and shampoos and soaps and cleaning products. I'm not sure that that's something that you know about me, but uh, I'm very much into that for the last two years. I'm selling my products. I, I didn't know that about yes. you. But I, I, I'm, I'm interrupting you Go already, but I should highlight that uh, I, I've been checking out your YouTube channel, uh, <laughs> specifically your latest video. Um, I think it's called Earth Element, and I'll be linking that video specifically if folks want to check it out in the show notes. So, Please do. Um, YouTube video, Earth Element, uh, and I think the channel has to do with your work as a circus monkey yeah circus um, monkeys. tell us tell us about that what is what is circus and you know what is who are the circus monkeys so circus monkeys are myself and my husband um it's our little kind of traveling troupe that we made up a few years ago um and we are very passionate about inclusive circus so we try to do things with many including many different religions especially here in israel so we try to have um you know christians and jewish and arabs all together um that's one of our main goals in the future is to open a circus where everyone is included um different sexual backgrounds um genders, something that I'm a big advocate for also, especially in circus, there's, you know, female jobs and male jobs. And I always, if the boys could do it, I wanted to learn how to do it. Um, And when I teach teams, you know, we work in summer camps also in the US. So when we have teams, the girls learn everything that the boys do, and vice versa. So we're really trying to be as inclusive as possible. Um, We also 
before the corona hit, we were working um, with adults with um, different mental and physical disabilities. We were teaching them yoga and juggling. Um, so we're very much passionate about just finding people that want to learn and want to find the magic of circus and being able to adapt to to be able to make that happen for them. Right on. <laughs> you alluded uh, to, you know, the, the village uh, where you and I grew up. Just touch on how it is that you and I know each other. <laughs> um, so I think I've known you for as long as I can remember. <laughs> uh, your mom used to babysit me. You were that special neighbor that had this awesome pool. So we did swimming lessons together. We went to school together. Um, we got babysat together. And uh, I think that that's just been something that's connected us. You know, no matter where I am traveling in the world, every time I come home, you're you're there or we try to make it that we're both there at the same time. Christmases. I don't remember a Christmas that I was in Canada that that wasn't at your house with your mom's amazing food and uh, maybe some bevies and feeling really festive. So, yeah, we've I mean, you're almost like a brother to me. So I guess you know that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I know that, but people that are uh, tuning in might not. So thank you for shedding light on that uh, bit of context. You're welcome. So you, um, you know, we we sort of grew up together. You went away. I also went away, uh, but to different places. You were in the Caribbean. Um, you, where you, where you found love, uh, and, and among other things, maybe, um, and, uh, I went to the warm places. You you went to the cold places. That was it, right? (laughs) That's right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, Shetta, tell us a little bit more about that. The, the, uh, your time in the Caribbean and, and finding love. Mm, Okay. So, um, (laughs) Let's see. So I was a fitness instructor when I when I started working in Turks and Caicos, and I was teaching about five classes a day, aqua gym. I had this awesome yoga deck on the beach. Turks has like one of the world's best beaches. If you've never been there, you got to go. It's, it's the most amazing place. Um, so I got to teach yoga there twice a day. And I would teach, you know, abs and butt and boot camp classes. And I was really into it. And I would meet all of these awesome um, you know, single women, or it was a, it was adults only. So it was a very party club also. So you can get into some trouble. Luckily I was quite focused. Um, and I needed to be quite physical every day. So I, I kept it under control. And, uh, and then there was a flying trapeze. I had never seen a flying trapeze before. I didn't know what it was. If you don't know what it is, it's a massive structure with a huge net and you swing from one end and somebody catches you on the other. And uh, so this was an activity for the guests. And so once a week, they would have a flying trapeze show, and then they would have a show in the theater where they would do more kind of Cirque du Soleil aerials, things that hang from the ceiling. Um, And I thought, okay, well, I was a dancer, so I can do this. And I didn't realize how weak my upper body was. So I really had to train. And the flying trapeze freaked me out. I think the first time that I was ready to be caught, I said, no, thank you. And the circus team came to my door, threw me over their shoulder and like forced me to do it. Um, And actually the first time that I tried something in the theater was called Spanish web. And it is a rope that hangs from the ceiling. You climb the rope, you put your hand into kind of a loop and somebody on the ground spins you really, really fast. So the first time I tried that, I was very hungover. And the chief of circus, the circus manager, wanted to teach me not to drink so much. So he told me to put on some tights, climb the rope, and he spun me as fast as he could. 
I came down. I asked him for permission to go throw up. <laughs> I went and threw up and came back and he said, you're actually pretty good. And I was like, yeah, imagine if I wasn't hungover, how great I could be. So two nights later, he put me in a show. Um, I couldn't tell anyone about it. It was this big secret. So I was in this show. I was really nervous. I was spinning for five minutes in the air. I got stuck after in the, my hand was stuck in the loop. I was so dizzy and there was 700 people watching me. The music had finished. It was like a Rihanna song or something. The music had finished and I was stuck in this rope (laughs) and people were like, come on, Maureen, you can do it. Like cheering me on to get out. And I kept looking down at this guy, like do something. And he was looking at me like, you got to get yourself out. So finally I got out and, you know, I did kind of like this sideways bow and ran off and threw up backstage. And so that was the start, my rough start of my circus career. And then uh, I was training every day with the team. I would teach five, my five classes a day and every break and every day off I would train for six months straight. I was like crazy. My hands were ripped up and bleeding. And I was just, I was so addicted to it. I was so passionate about it. Um, because, you know, as a dancer, we were always taught that you need to be thin and that can really do damage on a young girl's mind and body. And I love this thing about circus that it was strong. Nobody cared if you were thin, you needed to be strong. And I love that. And I love that you could put music on it. It still felt like dancing. So I was really addicted. And then a few months in this, uh, little Israeli showed up at the, the team, the new guy. And so I was like this nice Canadian and he was fresh out of the army. So he was very like strict and his English wasn't so good. And I was really excited to meet the new circus guy. So I came up and I was all Canadian, like, hi, Maureen, I'm going to be da, 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 training with you. And he was like, cool. And I was like, oh, okay. And he started to train me and he was really mean, actually. He was very intimidating. Um, and then, you know, we started to train together and eventually we fell in love in the air. I believe the first time he caught me on the flying trapeze in a show, I screamed, I love you because I was just so excited that I caught this hard trick. And we have this awesome picture. Actually, it's a full moon and it's him catching me. And I was wearing this ridiculous yellow, no, a purple, like leotard, one piece leotard, very embarrassing. But, um, so yeah, we dated for three months and then I came to Israel for a week. It was like a whirlwind trip just to see. I knew he always wanted to live in Israel. So I said, okay, if I'm going to, he was going to Brazil. I was going to Mexico for in the same hotel, but two different locations. So I said, okay, if I'm going to wait for this guy, I need to make sure, you know, his parents are okay with me not being Jewish, that I like Israel, that I feel safe in Israel. I had not heard too much about Israel other than in Catholic school. So, uh, so I went for a week and then loved it, fell in love with his family and friends. Um, and then we spent nine months apart working in different places. I was brought to Brazil to work with him. And then we just started this kind of for years, the few months together, a few months apart, a few months together, a few months apart. And then eventually we got married. It's a very long story. You know, we've been together almost nine years, so it's a lot of history. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's shedding some light on it and setting it up nicely. Um, I, I should highlight that I think this conversation is probably going to focus a little bit on where you currently are being in Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I sort of set the intention of chatting about human rights, the idea of self-care and, mm. uh, you know, gratitude in a conflicted world. Yes. So um, I think I, I can't imagine anyone that's got more perspective on that than yourself. And so, yeah, here we are. So a, a circus monkey with, with uh, keen interest in, you know, living well, fitness, and uh and finding love in a hostile well 
I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. It can about. be hostile. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Depends where you go. <laughs> well, everything I'm reading about in the news and hearing about is, uh, you know, referring to conflict in Israel, although I think at the moment that we're speaking, things are um, maybe a little bit calmer than they have been. Just help me understand where are you in uh, in the country? So to, to give some context, um, so basically the Middle East is full of uh, Muslim countries and Israel is a very, very tiny, tiny, tiny part of that. So to drive from the top of Israel, just, you know, to give especially Canadians, because Canada is so big, to drive from the top of Israel to the bottom of Israel takes seven hours. That's it. To drive from the ocean to the edge takes two to three hours. That's what we're working with, a very, very tiny piece of land. Now, within that land, you have the north, which is mountains and uh, lush greenery. And then you get more into the center, like Tel Aviv, which is like very a lot of cities and high rise buildings and corporations. Um, And then you get into the desert, which is desert. At the very bottom of the desert, you have uh, a city called Elat, which has a lot of scuba diving and a lot of it's, they call it the Vegas of Israel, but it's just not true. (laughs) It's like way less exciting than Vegas. Um, But they have, you know, all the hotels and you can, you know, go down to the desert for a vacation um, with your family or to go scuba diving or, or whatever. So basically I live more in the Northern part. And I think that each part of Israel has a very different people in the desert. People are a little bit more heated um, in the center, people are also heated, but I guess in a different way, you know, rushy, like that Toronto kind of vibe. Um, everything is happening. A lot of, um, great restaurants and a lot of culture, but you know, much more busy. And then you get to the North and you start to get to the hippies and, uh, it's much more relaxed and in the nature and the, the way of living is a little bit slower. So that's the, the life that I like, cause that's the life that you and I are used to growing up in as well. Um, and I've lived, you know, lives in cities and lives on islands and this is, I really love it. So we live in a small community on a mountain. Um, we have about 400 people living in our community and this is this is near is it near to Tel Aviv or am I mistaken? It's about an hour north of Tel Aviv, so very different. We do live near uh, a bigger city, but I would I would compare it to like Ottawa, you know, where it could feel like a city, but it could also you know you have the outskirts that feel much smaller and quainter. Um, so yeah, about an, an hour north of Tel Aviv, and. Um, yeah, life is much more relaxed here. That's where you and your your husband uh, are residing and, and practicing as uh, members of your own circus. Yes. So we live in this fantastic community, and it has a um, an agricultural camp, an eco sorry not agriculture an eco campsite. So it's this piece of land. Um, they also have uh, gardens and things like this, but it's this piece of land where people can come to camp with your families or do events or whatever. And it's very, very beautiful. And we became friends with the owner of this place. And she was very great, like gracious enough to let us set up our uh, circus structure. It's basically like a big metal structure with four legs. So we train there. We teach classes for our community there. We can also break down the structure, put it in our car. We've done festivals in the desert. We've done birthday parties in Tel Aviv. We can take it wherever we need to take it. But yeah, we're based every day. We're training. 
in a forest surrounded by nature. So the, um, the YouTube link that you're going to share that was created in that forest and for that forest, because we see, you know, these days it's plastic and masks littered everywhere. So being in the nature every day really reminds me of how, how much we need mother earth. I'm just mindful that if when we share the YouTube link, then I think it'll identify uh, the name of your husband that uh, we haven't actually said his, uh, uh, his name, but is that, uh, that's going to be okay with you? No, no big, uh, it's a deal. very common name here. So, uh, yeah, we can talk about him. My, my husband's name is Tal. It's a, can be a masculine name or a feminine name actually in Hebrew. So, uh, many Tals in Israel. <laughs> and the two of you, if, if folks are interested in checking out, uh, you know, some of your skill, uh, or backstory, they can find, uh, a more recent, well, maybe not the most recent, but an exciting video of you on, uh, Ninja Israel. Yes. Israel Ninja, or I'm, I, uh, I, this is all news to me. I can't fathom what it's like, uh, swinging from, from these devices, but Tal is quite impressive and you yourself are, uh you know, so, so fit. And, uh, and, and I mean, the two of you are, are just a a match made in heaven. It seems like the way you, um, support each other and, and, uh, anyway, Tal going through that, that course was just so impressive. What was it like being on TV show? He rocked it. He really rocked it. Yeah. So basically it's Ninja Israel and it is the Israeli version of American Ninja Warrior, which is my all-time favorite show. My favorite thing about the show is watching the women because the things that they ask you to do are crazy. And I love, you know, the men, it's also very impressive. Anybody to doing it is very impressive, but I love when I see the women doing it. So here in Israel, we've only had two women that have actually finished a course and made it into the semifinals. That's it. One of them is a good friend of mine and I'm, I'm, she's such an inspiration to me. Um, and I've had the pleasure of training with her and speaking with her and, So we wanted to do this, I think when we first moved to Israel, but I didn't have the right insurance for it. And they wanted us to do it together. It was very important that we did it together. They liked our story. They liked our vibe. So we waited until this year. We did the auditions. Everything was great. And then Corona happened. Everything shut down. So we're about to film. I think it was like days before we were about to do our first filming, And they shut everything down. So instead of filming in May, we had to film in July, which is like 40 degrees in the daytime and very, very humid. So we needed to swing from metal bars (laughs) in 40 degree weather in the night. Uh, So that was extra stressful. So, but we did have two extra months to train, which was fantastic. So we basically spent our quarantining days training in the tennis court here, training on our rig, doing whatever we could. We couldn't even go to ninja gyms. I think we trained in a ninja gym three times before we actually ran the course. So we didn't really have the chance to even know the obstacles. We just tried to use what we could from our circus skills and and hope for the best. But the good thing about it was that when everybody's freaking out about Corona and not knowing what was going to happen every day, we woke up and we were like, okay, if we feel out of control, we know we have to train. We know we have a competition. We don't know when it will be. We don't know how long we're locked down for, but we know at some point we're doing this. So it really gave us uh, something to work towards and something that kind of kept our minds focused in this very unknown time. So then everything opened back up and we started to film again. I think in May, we started to just do the filmings where they interview you and you 
um, go with all of the ninjas and do different things together. And that was all very fun. I was really interested in how the filming worked. I wanted to be like behind the scenes and I wanted to see how it all worked um, in terms of filming and production. This was really interesting for me. So that was really cool. The producers were amazing. They really loved us. So we did all of this and then they said, okay, mid-July, you guys are running the course. So basically until mid-July, we were just trying not to get sick, first of all, (laughs) because we had worked so hard. And the second thing was that here in Israel, when Corona hit, they started to track your phone. I don't know if they do that in Canada too, but they were tracking our phone. So if you were in the grocery store, if you were a certain, um, you know, a few meters away from somebody that had tested positive, you get this terrible text and boom, two weeks you're in quarantine. So it happened to many ninjas that they trained, 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 and then they couldn't actually compete because they just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. So we were really trying to stay away from everybody a few weeks before. We're like, we can't get sick. We can't be around anybody that's sick. We, I didn't even care if I fell. I just wanted like, just make it to the filming. Um, so we made it and we actually worked with um, uh, a really amazing yoga guy in I'm not sure if I can say his name in Brockville who does Wim Hof breathing. It's a type of, do you know Wim Hof? I do know Wim Hof. Yeah. He's a Dutch, uh, he's a Dutch uh, fella who has this extreme uh, capacity for, for overcoming uh, all sorts of issues through breath work. Yes. So it really helps with the nervous system and it really helps also um, physically with what your body can do and how your body uses oxygen. Specifically, if you have nerves, which of course, when you're filming a TV show and there's cameras in your face, as you're jumping from thing to thing, you're going to have some nerves. So we worked with him one-on-one a few times of how to do proper breathing. Mm -hmm. So before we ran the course, everybody was like warming up and Tal and I were laying on these mats with our headphones in doing Wim Hof breathing (laughs) instead. Um, And yeah, so, so generally when they filmed the show, there would be like hundreds of people in the audience and, you know, you could bring my parents were, we're going to fly out and watch me. And, you know, none of that could happen because of Corona. So I think we could bring like three friends each and everybody had to wear masks and the whole thing. It was like very strange to film under those circumstances, but we did it and it was super fun. I, I fell quite early, but I was happy. I had a little fight, fight on the ropes ripped my fingers up a little bit. And then Tal, yeah, Tal did amazing. He almost made it to the end. And um, yeah, we hope to do it again. It was it was an amazing experience. And I, I'd never been in such good shape. I'd never been so committed to something physically. And I got to see how it was all filmed. And that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so too. It was kind of interesting to see a camera crew focusing on you and you sending your support to Tal while he was uh, going through the uh, through the obstacles, and we saw a little bit of his is- Israeli and uh, you know army training, maybe uh, the way he sort of uh, yeah. navigated the course like a like a true ninja. And yourself too, even though you didn't last as long. I mean, it was impressive. I don't think I could have managed one of those swings. I still go through it in my sleep. Like I still beat myself up about it in my sleep. Like you should have just climbed a little bit more. But the only thing that was weird for me was you know, it's an athlete show and I'm a woman. Okay. But the amount of makeup that I was wearing, I took a video after to send to my friends. It was, you were at our wedding. It was more than I wore at my wedding. Other than red lipstick, there was so much makeup. And while everybody else was eating or or warming up, they kept bringing the girls for more and more makeup. And like, I had like the, the false eyelashes and they kept powdering me. And it was like, guys, I'm an athlete. I mean, I'm going to sweat. I'm nervous. It's 40 degrees 
you know, it, 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 this was so wild to me. I came home and I was like plucking out these individual eyelashes that they put on. It was like, I looked like I was on X factor or something. It was, it, this was really wild. The, the difference and for Tal, they were just like, boop, boop, a little bit of face powder and off you go. And for me, they were like every half hour, like, let's do a touch up. Let's do a touch up. I was like, I'm a female athlete. This doesn't work for me. The, the double standard uh, doesn't seem to. Yes. Uh, doesn't seem to, you know, evade you wherever you are in the world. Um, so I, I, yeah, I, for sure. I, I noticed uh, that some of the folks in the audience were wearing masks, but uh, I guess, you know, they wanted you to to be able to show off your, your beautiful face um, with all that makeup. And so there was no masks on, on you and Tal, I noticed. No, we, we wore masks. And because, you know, we were not close to anybody, but we wore masks while we were warming up. Again, they put all this makeup on me and then I was <laughs> wearing a mask. So my mask had like makeup in it. But we wore masks backstage. They were really, they had us in smaller groups and separated. They were really careful of how they how they did, they handled it really well. Cause I could imagine for production, it was way more money, way more time. Cause they couldn't jam everybody in one night and do it really quickly. They needed to, um, kind of, you know, spread it out a little bit more. So they handled it really well, but yeah, once we were backstage, that was it. The masks were off another makeup touch up and, and off you go. So, um, it was pretty crazy. And I looked a little bit silly when they were, when the, they were interviewing us before we ran because, we didn't see them. They were so far because of Corona. They had them like up the the hosts up in this special area. And we could only hear like an echo of the microphone. So I couldn't, and they were speaking in Hebrew. They told me right before I went on, they're going to speak in English. They know you speak English. No, they spoke only in Hebrew, which is fine. But then you only hear the echo. So <laughs> I realized Tal was speaking and I was, my face was like this, <laughs> like I was so confused. Um, so I just let Tal, I just squeeze his hand. Okay. It's you. I can't hear anything. So, uh, but the whole thing, you know, you're shaking and then you need to, then this camera's in front of you and then they're like, okay, go. And you're just like, okay, just don't let me fall on the first obstacle. As soon as I got past the first obstacle, I was like, okay, whatever happens now I'm cool. I didn't embarrass myself. It's all good. <laughs> Let's talk generally, uh, more about the pandemic, um, and the, the state of Israel sure. at the moment then. So, um, I mean, fortunately for you, you're living not exactly in a city. You've got a little bit of distance between uh, you and, and, and folks uh, around you based on your geographical location. And, and you and Tal are ostensibly training, um, you know, uh, on your own or at some safe distance. Outside, yeah. From what I read about uh, Israel at the moment, I mean, th- there's, the, there's a significant amount of people inoculated and vaccinated. And, um, you know, I'm hearing some sense of normalcy that is uh, being reinstated that people are able to attend concerts and, but you're, you're sort of alluding to, um, this sort of post pandemic world that seems to be highly regulatory where you're being tracked on your phone, um, shed a bit of light on how you see the, the state of, where you're living now, given, you know, the, the context of, of a pandemic. Sure. So, I mean, first you need to realize Israelis aren't very good with rules. They're not, you know, they, they're not so compliant. Um, so it, it was quite hard for them to even do lockdowns here. You know, they had to make it a law that you need to wear a mask outside because nobody would in our little community. Nobody's wearing masks outside. People are meeting. Kids are meeting, you know, unless there was like 
some sort of an outbreak or people in, in our small community were quarantined, it felt very much like normal life in our area. You go into the cities and, and maybe, you know, you need to take your temperature to go into the grocery store, but they don't have these like plexiglass windows up in Canada or, you know, arrows or things like that. It was much more relaxed here. And because of all the lockdowns, businesses were losing so much money that as soon as they could open, they didn't really care to follow the rules because they just needed to provide for their families. Our government didn't really give us any support also. So there was actually during the lockdowns, a lot of suicides because people couldn't feed their families, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that there was many, we're seeing it all over the world, mental health, a lot of issues that are coming along with that as well. But our third lockdown it ended because the government's tracking the phones and they realized that nobody was locked down. People just decided, no, we're over it. This isn't working and we're just going to go back to life. So then the government announced that the lockdown was over so that they seemed like they were still in control. But basically after tracking the phones, they saw the roads were full. Like people just decided, no, I need to open my business because I need to feed my family. If the government isn't going to give us any support, what choice do I have? Um, and then in, in talking about vaccinations, you know, we're the, we are the Pfizer guinea pigs over here. Our prime minister made a deal with Pfizer for a lot of money to basically test it out on us. And now the whole world is kind of looking at, at how Israel is. So basically the majority of the people that I know got vaccinated because they needed to go to work. You lock people down for a year and then tell them you can't go back to work unless you do this. People have families, man. They need to They need to eat. So many people didn't want to do it. Um, they didn't really do it for their health. They basically did it because they they needed to work. So that was kind of that, that hard thing where you're making people choose between their health, their long-term health, let's say, and, and going back to work because we don't know the long-term effects of this. We're seeing now effects of, you know, young people with heart issues and women that are having strange bleeding. And, you know, there's a lot of things that are coming out now um, that I'm sure you'll start to see all over the world. So yeah, they put people in a really tight spot here. You know, we had, we had no government funding and then what do you do? Right. You have three kids. There's a lot of big families here too. So, um, and the other thing is that a lot of the cases were coming people. So you have many different pods here. You have like the religious orthodox pods of people. You have the hippie pods of people. You have the Arabic pods of people. So a lot of the cases were coming from the orthodox areas because they weren't, they don't really listen to the government. Their rabbis make their decisions. So they weren't locked down. They were having weddings and funerals of thousands of people. And so they were getting really, really sick. So eventually they needed to have literally military around to make sure that nobody was going to the synagogue, nobody was gathering. But again, you have 10 kids in your in your small house, and one of them is infected, it's only a matter of time before then the whole family is infected. So you have, um, so many people were getting frustrated, because they were locked down, their business was locked down, but then they see this religious wedding with a 1000 people at it. And they were like, why aren't we following the same rules. So there was a lot of issues with that, where the government or the police kind of choose where they want to um, make these mandates and where it's kind of, they look the other way. So there was also a lot of 
division, basically, where where people were blaming other people, kind of like in Canada, where people are blaming people for gathering, let's say. Um, it was that kind of a, a divisional thing as well. So people decided by the third lockdown, listen, if the Orthodox, the schools never closed in the Orthodox communities, not once. And schools were closed, everything was closed in the non-Orthodox communities. So people said, listen, if they're allowed to go to school and synagogue and have weddings of thousands of people, I'm going to open my small business so I can feed my family, which for me is fair, fair game. So it, it was interesting to during the lockdowns out of the lockdowns. Yeah. Things, things are very normal. Now they, they changed the law where you don't need to wear a mask outside, which is great because I think it's much healthier to breathe clean air, <laughs> free oxygen. Um, and actually tomorrow our health minister will announce, I hope, and I believe that our green passport and all of the COVID, um, regulations that are in place, I believe are about to be canceled. There is, I mean, you're describing these sort of selective, this selective enforcement, uh, you know, and, and this sort of, I mean, this, this sense of uh, polarizing politics where people are in their own camps and, um, you know, government seems to be favoring, you know, certain and disfavoring others, you know, this sense of inequity that's being experienced all around the world. And so uh, Israel is, is not immune. Uh, let's talk about vaccines for a second then. So am I to understand you're a Pfizer guinea pig or uh, is this something that you're avoiding? Yeah, no way. No, no, I, I'm, I'm avoiding it. Um, I've done a lot of research on this and, uh, no, looking at the animal trials and looking at how I see other people that, that I know that have been vaccinated. Um, I'm, I'm not interested in doing this. I also believe that, you know, I'm leading a very healthy lifestyle. I have an immune system and again, maybe it would be different if I was living in a, in a crowded city and my job made me, you know, take the bus every day where I'm or touching all of these different services and things like this. But I, I very much believe that my immune system can handle it. I know many people that are much, much unhealthier than I am uh, that have got COVID and survived, you know, older people, overweight people. So uh, I'm going with the numbers of the death percentage being 0.03%. And I, I like those odds. <laughs> um, I also don't have a TV. So that's the thing. I don't have a TV. I'm not on Facebook. So I'm not into the mainstream propaganda. I'm not listening to the fear. Facts over fear. I look at what the facts are. If I compare Israel's death rate or Canada's death rate or any country in the world, and I would suggest your listeners, if you're somebody that's very fearful about this, just look at the facts Look at Canada's death rate 2018. Look at it now. Look at Israel's death rate 2018. Look at it now. I think Israel even had less deaths in 2020 than it did in 2018. So, and flu disappeared. You know, I, I there's something about this, the, the narrative that, I, that I'm not necessarily buying into. And if it comes out that these um, injections are working, then I would like to give it some time. I'm not going to be the one that's going to rush into to an experimental unknown um, injection where, you know, Pfizer has no liability whatsoever. Um, and it's the first human trials that have ever been done in human history of um, mRNA vaccines. So I, I'm not I'm not rushing into this. What's your opinion on uh, then on 
this idea of herd immunity? I think herd immunity was, I've never heard that term until 2020. So I don't feel too, uh, I, I don't know about it. I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure that ever before, you know, we say now it's to protect others. You, you wear a mask to protect others. And since when I I've just never heard of this before to you take care of your health, to take care of your health. I've never had that. My health is affecting somebody else. Um, so, so that's, that's a little bit strange to me. I, I don't have too much of, a, of an opinion on herd immunity other than the fact that I just believe that if everybody is taking care of themselves, my, my big question is if the government cares so much about my health, why are they still poisoning my food, water, and air? Uh, what do you mean by poisoning? H- how so? So, you know, we have many things that, uh, let's say in Canada and the US alone, the FDA can approve many things that are in your uh, Pepsi Cola, in your potato chips, in your anything boxed or frozen, those specific ingredients or chemicals are not allowed in Europe, they would be banned. Um, In Israel, we have a huge, we have a beautiful view of the ocean, but we have a massive oil rig that's out there that pollutes our air like crazy. Um. Our water has things like fluoride and uh, chemicals and, you know, we have oil spills here and our, it goes into our water. And so we have tons of different things that are in our water. So if they really cared about the health, why aren't we looking at that? Why are you still allowed to sell Coca-Cola, which is better at cleaning my, my toilet than, than it is tasting in my mouth? Why aren't we looking at that kind of stuff? Why is there no talk of vitamin D, which has been proven to, to, um, improve the immune system? Why aren't we talking about fruits and vegetables, probiotics, uh, breathing clean air? Why physical touch? You know, you can't just ventilation. I mean, there's so many things that we could be doing other than stay in your house, terrified, watching the news with a mask on. That's my, again, that's my opinion. You know, I'm deep down these rabbit holes and I, I've in my fitness my fitness career. And as a personal trainer, I've done so much studying on what they put in our food, what they do to our animals, the hormones that go into the meat. We should be looking at that first, if they were really caring about our health. Yeah. I mean, you, you rightly point out to so many paradoxes, uh, and, and sort of, um, (laughs) I mean, governance in many countries seems to be so, uh, corrupted in the way that they're rolling out regulations that that don't make sense, and you know a main tenet of that seems to be these sort of fear tactics. So I agree with you. There's this sort of sense of coercion. Um, you know, uh, I was chatting with a friend from the U.S. You know, being a, a very individualistic society, mm-hmm. uh, they're thinking, well, this whole idea of wearing a mask to save my neighbor doesn't make sense to me since I I live my life based on worrying about myself and my own, you know, health. So, so that makes sense to me, but I, I'm trying to determine where, you know, maybe you and I don't necessarily see eye to eye. Where do you think the pandemic, uh, this virus has come from in your Hmm. opinion? Um, I believe that it's, and I mean, it's slowly coming out that, that this could be a possibility. I believe that it's a lab leak. I believe that it's man-made. Um, for sure. I think that, you know, if you think about the people that have made billions of dollars off of this, um, and now, you know, there's so many small businesses that are closing and we're being more and more reliant on our governments and they're holding more and more power and the media is holding more and more power, the more that they, they're fearful 
they make us fearful. Um, I believe that this is, is something that's been in the works. I don't think that this is like a fluke. And I just want to say one more thing about um, the, the individual of why am I wearing a mask to protect you? You know, I see all of these celebrities that are saying, get vaccinated for your, for your family and for your friends. Well, we, we need to just think for a second that none of these vaccine companies have said that it is actually going to help. And none of the studies have, have shown so far that it helps from spreading it or getting it. They say all it does is it lowers your own symptoms. So if you're getting this injection, you are doing it for yourself. You getting this injection isn't protecting anybody else. It might lessen your symptoms. That's it. So, and, and in terms of masks, you know, you can, on the, these blue masks that everyone is wearing on the box, it says it will not protect you from viruses. It literally says that on the box and we still wear it. If you want to do a little experiment, smoke a cigarette, inhale, put the mask on and exhale. It does nothing. Smoke will come out everywhere. Scientists have said the particles are so small, it won't do anything. It's like catching a mosquito in a fence. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. So again, if you want to watch CNN and you want to focus on the fear, that's fine. But I'm going to look at what the scientists are saying, not paid by these companies. I'm going to look at what the actual science is saying. And I'm going to go with, with how I feel. For me as a fitness person, I know that clean oxygen, clean air is the best thing that I can do. Wearing two, three masks to protect from, from a, a, something that affects your lungs just doesn't make sense to me. Exercise, grounding, putting your feet on the earth, these types of things for me, th this is what makes you healthy, eating real food. You know, we have in our grocery store, you have sections called health food. So what is all of the other 20 aisles selling you? Yeah, I mean, you're pointing out some important questions to to ask you know i i mean indeed the news media the legacy media channels aren't reporting on vitamins as you rightly point out they're not uh, talking about you know things that uh, that you know make us feel well I indeed you know news stories uh, sell you know ideas of of i mean fear cells and and this idea of risk and and whatnot but i i guess i'm wondering I mean, you, you speak of science and um, following the studies, and yet there's a lot of scientists that are saying, you know, get get inoculated. The, the mRNA vaccine is the way to go. But you're sort of painting a, a little bit more of a nefarious kind of agenda here, which fits nicely on the Rex Crim show. What, what I would say is, in terms of science, I think it's very corrupt nowadays. So my biggest thing is follow the money. You have all of these independent, independent fact checkers on Instagram and Facebook. Who are they funded by? They're funded by the vaccine companies. Bill Gates. Bill Gates wants to vaccinate everybody. Guess what? He also has a foundation for depopulation. He wants to, he, there's this amazing YouTube video. I can send it to you after if you want, but there's this amazing YouTube video that he's talking about the, the high rising population of the world. And so he says, quote, with the use of vaccinations, health care and reproductive care, we can lower that by five to 10% in the next few years. This is the guy that wants you to get vaccinated. He got kicked out of India for killing a bunch of young girls with the, I believe it was the Gardasil vaccine. Um, they, the country kicked him out, they kicked his foundation out because he had killed so many people. So I think you need to follow the money with this. Um, you know, he wants to block out the sun, block, the sun makes everything grow. 
It makes all of our agriculture grow. It gives us vitamin D, which is the best, best health for us. He also owns the most agricultural land now in the U.S. and wants to start making synthetic beef and meat and, and food. So you need to think about where this is really going. You need to take a step back from the COVID and look at the bigger picture of what all of these billionaires are doing while you're wearing a mask and watching CNN. Bigger things are happening here. You know, you can call me a conspiracy theorist. The thing that I say about conspiracy theorists is we're just a year ahead of everybody else because the lab leak in China last year, they called it a conspiracy. And now President Biden wants to really take a good look at it. And Dr. Fauci wants to really take a good look at it. So I think you're just like a little bit ahead of the game if you're called a conspiracy theorist. But uh, there's so many bigger things going on. And the same within the Middle East. How many wars do we need to be in in Israel to realize that no amount of bombs or rockets are going to get us to peace? How many injections do we need to give little kids before we realize that no amount of heavy metals and toxins are going to lead to health? Yeah, I, I, I mean, you, you speak with such conviction, and I want to say I agree. Although, you know, just to fact check here, for example, I, I have a quick internet search while we're chatting, and I see an article that you know is talking about a false controversy from two thousand and nine uh, regarding misinformation of the Gates uh, Foundation being kicked out of India, and it, it sounds like you know this. According to this article, what you're suggesting is 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 incorrect so there's a lot of this ongoing issue in society where you know here we are you and i neighbors typically i would like to think we see eye to eye on many things but the information that we're getting is is vastly different um you know where do you get your information how do you know what to trust Hmm. So, I mean, so where I got that specific, uh, I forget her name now, but it, it's an Indian woman and she was doing a, um, a speak with Russell Brand. I love, I love a lot of his stuff. His stuff is pretty great. Um, he's talking a lot about, you know, the agendas and specifically Bill Gates. So she was talking about the, how they are working now with Indian farmers, um, to start to make, synthesized chemical, not real food, genetically modified foods. Um, and so th- this was something that, that she had spoken about. She's, uh, I don't remember her exact position if she's a doctor or a PhD, but, um, but she was talking about the fact that he was, he was thrown out. I, I'll look into it and I'll, I'll send it to you, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you could, I could say one thing and you can look at, at a website and it will say the exact opposite. And another thing that's so crazy right now is the censorship. The censorship is wild. So I get a lot of my stuff from, from telegram because most of the stuff is, is uh, censored through Google or whatever. So I do duck, duck, go searches, or I do on telegram. And this is where, you know, I I'm following a lot of different doctors, um, specifically in Canada, I'm quite concerned about what's going on there. So I'm following a lot of groups in Canada that are trying to bring more awareness. Um, one of the best, uh, gynecologists in the U S 10 years ago was, um, said by claimed by Oprah to be one of the, um, most influential teachers of the time. And now she's on her like fifth Instagram account because she's being completely censored. So I think it's really easy to censor, to call people crazy. The truth will come out, you know, in a few years, we'll see what, what is going on with, you know, people like Bill Gates and all of these billionaires. And we'll see what's going on with the, here in Israel, we'll feel it because we're all, you know, Pfizer, you know, there's over 6 million of Israelis that are 
vaccinated with the Pfizer vaccine. So it will take time to see how that's going to affect fertility, how that's going to affect, you know, these heart issues that young people are seeing, how it's going to affect children. We're starting to inject 12 year olds, same in Canada. Um, so, so it's a good point. And I, I will look at um, the Bill Gates India thing and I'll send it to you if I find it, but there's so much varying information. So I think that that's the hard thing too, is it's also like, who do you believe? Yeah, I, I like uh, what you're referring to. I think the idea of Telegram has to do with secure messaging and the idea of encryption. And what was the other uh, you, you made reference duck, to? DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo, which I totally, I mean, now you're you're getting into uh, my realm, this idea of internet security. And I, I mean, I, I that resonates with me a great deal. And that's smart because, you know, you're, you're getting away from this sort of filter bubble whereby people are living in their own news feeds and people are being fed, you know, information that resonates with them rather than divergent perspectives. And through the algorithm, right? Precisely. And, and, you know, and so this is what, you know, this is totally germane to the Rex Krim show, you know, finding and, and seeking divergent perspectives that differ from our own to, to try to make sense of the world around us. I want to talk about the idea of discrimination. Uh, it seems like going forward, you know, the pandemic is going to be a, a, a basis of discrimination, you know, whether you've been vaccinated or not. You seem to be, um, well, I, I mean, vaccine hesitancy would be a, a mild way of describing your, your, your sense of your conviction about this topic. I would call it like vaccine education. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Um, but you know, at what point, you know, would you be amenable to, to that mind being changed? For example, if to your, I mean, I, I'm trying to decide how, what is the question I'm looking to ask you here? It sounds like going forward, you know, going into grocery stores, you are submitting to, you know, temperature checks, crossing borders is going to require submitting health, um, health you know, information, um, you know, what does it look like for you going forward, being able to cross borders and how do you foresee this idea of discrimination, um, hmm. unfolding in, in the world post pandemic? So I hope in terms of Israel, I hope that the, the green passport will be canceled and it will make our lives a bit easier because we have had to turn down many jobs because, you know, summer camps or, or working in schools, uh, teaching circus that would require us to or have an injection or have a PCR test every 72 hours. I have not yet done one PCR test. Also, I also don't believe that they are um, necessarily doing good things. I believe that the things that they're coded in are not necessarily good to be in soft tissue areas like the nasal passage. Um, so in inside of Israel, you know, there's also times that we go to a restaurant and if there's no outside seating, we can't eat there because we're not vaccinated. And that feels very strange. Um, but, you know, I could eat outside and, and I asked one restaurant, but if I need to go to the bathroom, she said, yeah, put your mask on and go in. And I was like, okay, that's strange. Like, so I can go in there, but I just can't take a mask off and eat. Okay, that's fine. Um, so that also just shows me where I want to give my business and where I don't. But many places here, again, because they've been closed down, they give up on that. They say, okay, we'll sit you beside an open window because we want your money and we need your money and we need to you know, make our business work. So it, it's fallen apart here anyways, which I think is why the health ministry is going to give it up because it's just not working and the people aren't doing it. 
Um, and yeah, in terms of traveling, you know, I don't know when the next time I can be home is, I don't know the next time I can see my nieces and nephews. Um, I don't know when my, you know, when you're going to be able to meet our baby that is in my belly right now. Oh my goodness. Okay. Congratulations, (laughs) Mo. I didn't realize. Wow. Oh, wow. What an exciting, uh, wow. You were, you were really looking to spring that on me. Okay. Wow. I waited for that for it to be on air. Yeah. Right on. Exciting. <laughs> Congratulations. That's uh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. So that's another thing, you know, I, I always thought when I would be pregnant that I would go home and I would get a bachelorette or not a bachelorette, a baby shower with all of my friends and my mom. And you know, that those things aren't a reality for me anymore. Um, but again, what do I, you have so many people that are picking the comfort of going to flying to Greece over long-term health effects. You know, that's not really something, especially as a pregnant woman now that I'm willing to, to mess with. Um, so yeah, I don't know when I can go home again. Um, but that's, that's something that I was prepared to do. I I said in the beginning, I'm prepared to be very uncomfortable to keep my sovereignty and to, to keep my health, um, in terms of when I would take an experimental vaccine, if I saw that it was, you know, treating me better than healthy food, grounding meditation and, and breath work, then I, then I would do it. But I, I just believe, you know, we have everything that we need in nature for sure. There are definitely some, you know, vaccines and some uh, medical interventions that are needed, but I'm not running to be, to be a Guinea pig on a never done before human experiment. I want to step back for a second to talk about masks. You know, you, you point out some of the uh, you know, the, uh, inconsistencies. I mean, if you smoke a, blow cigarette smoke out, for example, not that you're smoking cigarettes, I don't think, but if you, if you did, uh, test your mask that way, you would see, you know, all sorts of smoke coming out the sides. And so, and, and I see people in a nonsensical way, wearing masks outside when they're not around people, you know, so in their cars, that's my favorite driving alone in your car. With indeed. Mask. There's, you know, some virtual <laughs> signaling that's going on for people with masks. I mean, there's inconsistencies regarding the the science behind, you know, what masks are used for versus, you know, uh, this sort of theater uh, in conveying to people around you that you're on the side of the moral majority. Uh, but in your case, you know, I, yeah. you're you're describing, you know, where uh, so wearing a mask to go into the to the restaurant, for example. Uh, I mean, at what what is the trade off here? I mean. Y- y- at what point do you, you know, decide to wear a mask? At what point do you say enough is enough? I'm not going to wear it. First of all, here, there's many places, you know, I bring my mask. I want to be respectful. If I, you know, if I go into a bit, because there are people that are very afraid of this and and I respect that. And I understand that. Um, so, you know, if I see that there's the people working in the store, grocery stores, for sure, you wear, you wear masks and that's it. But there's many, you know, health food stores or restaurants that you go to and, nobody's wearing a mask. So I kind of like take my cue off of what other people are doing. We have a tiny little corner store here that I always wear my mask to. And now you see the people that work there aren't wearing a mask, people going in are wearing a mask. So I say, okay, great. And and I don't wear it. But when I meet people or I have friends, you know, back home in Canada, I'm people think I'm insane. Many of my friends and family are are not on the same level that I am. Um, again, I think because they're, they're watching news and, and things like this, but, um, I just ask them in a, in a very compassionate way because there is not one scientific study that proves that mass prevents the spread of COVID. So I say, please send it to me. 
please send me the, the scientific study, not what CNN says, not what Joe Biden says. Send me the study, the study that was done that shows that it prevents it. Because in history, especially in the Middle East, when you put something over somebody's face, you are muzzling them and you are reminding them that they should be afraid. So I think that this is much more of a psychological thing. Now, again, if you want to wear a mask because you you feel safer, by all means, go ahead. I'm not judging anybody. This is just something that I feel. And I don't feel that we should be putting masks on children. This is the most upsetting for me is to see children with masks when there is no study. You're blocking their oxygen. Why can I go into a restaurant, take off my mask, sit down and eat, but kids need to spend seven hours in school a day with a mask on when they're not eating? What are we doing to them? Babies are seeing only strangers with masks. They're not seeing people smile. This can do a lot of psychological damage. So that's my thing. If there's a study on it and it's actually saving me or preventing the spread, I will do it. But I have not yet seen one study. And if someone wants to send it to me, please, because I'm not saying, you know, I know everything. Send it to me. If you if you have it, send it to me. But don't send me something that Justin Trudeau is saying. Send me a study. Send me something that's been done, that's been looked at that's been peer reviewed and and that we can, that we can go into because if I don't see the means to, to block my oxygen, I don't want to do it. I believe that it's so much healthier to breathe fresh air. You're touching on this idea, which I've been reading a lot about in, in well, cryptocurrency, but it has to do with, you know, a transition in, in our, in our worldview from going based on trust and, and understanding, you know, the world from, stories that were told and believing, you know, information, for example, versus proof of work. You're talking about, you know, this idea of, uh, show me the, show me the, the, the science, um, you know, prove it basically. Yeah. In Israel, they made it a law that you cannot be outside without a mask. If you're going to make it a law, prove that it's, that it's useful, you know, prove, prove that it's for a reason. And I go by my experience too, right? I don't see bodies in the street. I don't see ambulances going everywhere. I, I know many people that, that, that tested positive for COVID. They have zero symptoms and they're all cool. I know many people that had a few days in the hospital and they're all cool. And the, all the people around them, nobody got it. So I need to question how contagious it is. You need to question why they want everybody in their houses. If you were out, you, maybe you would realize maybe it's not as contagious as they say. You know, you see that the nurses in, in Ontario specifically are coming out saying that the hospitals are deader than they've ever been, that they're, they're, there's no overflow. We need to question these things. If the nurse, you know, in the hospital doesn't see, has seen in a year five COVID patients, so why are we locked down? I mean, in Toronto, how many more years are you guys going to be in lockdown before you say, hmm, maybe lockdowns don't work? If we've been locked down for a year, does it work? I don't know. Yeah, I I mean, the nursing thing, I mean, Nat is a, is a nurse, and although she's not in uh, the hospitals at the moment, but I mean, there are nurses who I was with, you know, um, just last night, we, you know, we have a little uh, social gathering uh, in our bubble. And you know, I, I hear a lot about uh, ICUs being overfilled and, with patients and, you know, COVID, uh, COVID cases, which are resulting in death. Um, although, you know, on the flip side, there is some questionable reporting that goes on, you know, was someone predisposed to a condition, you know, and, and then that's being trumped up as COVID. Uh, I don't know. There's, you know, so much of this information that's floating around that that will be unfolded, you know, in 
time will tell the truth will prevail. My mom has been a nurse for 30 years in the ICU and it has always been overflowed also. And the other question that I would ask that I, I don't know the answer to is how much funding has gone into staff funding for hospitals in this time? Um, because again, you know, you could narrow down the, the, the staff that you have. And then of course it always looks like it's overflowed. Now that's just me playing devil's advocate, but I would actually love to know how much the Trudeau government has put into funding of nurses. Um, maybe Nat would know that I, I'm not sure. I like your point about following the money. You're, you're a true criminologist at heart, even though, uh... listen, I've gotten real deep into the rabbit holes this year. It's really made me think. And, and again, using, using experience and not buying like facts over fear. You know, my mom used to say mask it or casket. And I was like, mom, there is no scientific proof that masks work. Like that is just such a fearful thing that you're saying. What, like, why, please don't say that to your grandchildren. Like that is, you know, it's, it's just so bizarre to me. What is it like having these conversations with, uh, with your family then? It sounds like you're not necessarily seeing eye to eye with people very close to you. Easier with my mom than with my dad. <laughs> Um, my dad is very fearful and he doesn't want to hear much of it, but, um, my mom, she, I can tell that, that things click with her because she, she's in the the hospital area. So she, she is seeing these types of things or, you know, just even in the lockdowns in general, they say, Oh, we're going to be locked down a few more weeks. And I'm like, okay, so you, when the cases drop, okay. So our, is, is Doug Ford giving you when we get at this percentage, when we get at this case? No, they keep saying just when it gets lower, when it gets lower, when it gets lower, and now with the vaccines, they're saying, we're going to open this if 70% of you are, are vaccinated. We're going to open this if eight of you. Why are we punishing everybody? Like, it's like, if I swear we're both shoved in our rooms, I don't get it. Why? Like, since when has health been like this herd immunity? Since when has it been, if one of us is sick, we're all sick? Since when have we been assuming that everybody is sick? I'm not going to wear a mask because I'm a healthy person. Mm-hmm. I want to segue um, into the idea of conflict, and this seems like a, a, a good way of mm-hmm. uh, of doing it. I mean, you know, there are divergent perspectives here on, you know, to wear a mask, to not wear a mask, to be vaccinated or not, and so discrimination might become a a, a big part of the future moving forward, and and that could be the basis of further conflict. And you're in a in a part of the world that is seeing, you know, some some unrest at the moment. Um, but I, I just want to acknowledge, you know, one of the things that I'm extremely grateful for uh, as a result of this pandemic mm-hmm. is that, you know, prior to COVID, I was tied to my desk in a windowless office that, you know, since um, concern of contagion has resulted in me having so much more autonomy, being able to work from home, being able to log into the office from outside in the sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so this has been, you know, this is something I'm just so grateful for to have this capacity. Now I realize I'm, I'm some of, one of the fortunate ones here. Some people are stuck still going into grocery stores and, and whatnot. And, and I mean, or they're trying to work from home with three kids that are trying to study online and, you know, it can be, I, I also think of, you know, the women that are abused, the children that are abused, that going to work or going to school would be their escape, it would be, you know, the way that the kids eat lunch. Um, so I can imagine that it's also really tough for some, I, again, I too feel so grateful for this time, you know, to be doing more of the things that I love to be more in my, in my own space. But yeah, we're, we're the fortunate ones for sure. Yeah. There's been some 
you know, inequality, it's been uh, exasperated. Um, and, and, uh, you know, the inequities, uh, are yeah, constant. Um, but I, I want to segue into this idea of conflict then and try to, you know, because I, I think that the, the pandemic could very well be a basis of, of conflict moving forward in, in many parts of the world. Yeah. Um, so help, uh, help us understand what is the state uh, in Israel right now, summarize the conflict that uh, that I'm hearing about in the news. Hmm. Okay, I will try my best. And I just first want to say that this is my experience. You know, I, I didn't grow up in Israel my whole life. I'm not Jewish or Muslim. So um, this is just kind of from my Canadian naive experience and from the conversations that I've had and the experiences that I, I've had. So I don't want to offend anybody. A fly on the wall. Yeah, I don't want to offend anybody. You know, it's a, it's a very uh, touchy subject and there are many, there's, I don't know if there's a right or a wrong, you know, there are so many different opinions and perspectives um, and I try to educate myself and look at, at many of those perspectives. So as of right now, we're in a ceasefire for, I think, over a week now we've been in, in ceasefire. Um, there's many different ways to look at the, the conflict that just happened. There are um, Muslim people, Palestinians that are getting evicted from their homes in Jerusalem there's many arguments about if this is Israeli land, if it belongs to Israel, if it belongs to Palestinians, um, you know, they're, they're in court about this specific land, but basically a lot of Orthodox Jews. And, and that's the other thing too, that we want to separate the Orthodox Jews are much more extreme. We could call them even extremists. And then you have many Jewish people like my husband and my friends that are just, you know, living in peace and love and harmony. So there, there are very different, uh, you know, even just when you say Jews, there are so many different levels to that of religion, of belief. Um, so I just wanted to say that. But basically, the Orthodox Jews were coming and taking these Palestinians' homes. Um, you know, there's many arguments on, on if that's right or if that's not right. I don't think that it's right to kick anybody out of their homes, especially after the year that we've had with everybody just just trying to survive. Um, the Orthodox people also get a lot of money from the government. So I'm not sure that, that, uh, <laughs> you know, they're doing much better than the Palestinians who are not getting that money from the government. So, um, I definitely feel for that. I don't know too much about that specific situation, but what had escalated at all was in Jerusalem, you have the Western wall and you have, so that's kind of the wailing wall where the Jewish people go and pray. Many Orthodox are, are there. And on top of that sits the holiest place for the Muslims. So you basically have two holy places for two different religions in the exact same space. So there's many times where the Muslims could be throwing rocks down at the Jews that are praying. Um, and then you have, you know, people that say that, um, there, there's just many different things. And all of this is being guarded by Israeli soldiers. Now, the Israeli soldiers, you know, again, there's many different perspectives and many different, you know, teachings, but the Israeli soldiers are basically there to keep the peace. They protect the Muslims and the Jews as they see fit. Um, but there was some sort of an outbreak in this mosque that 
people, you know, some people say that the Israeli um, soldiers started it. Some people say that the Palestinian worshippers started it. I have no opinion on that because I wasn't there. But the Palestinian worshippers were throwing rocks at the soldiers. So then the soldiers started to um, fire off like rubber bullets and and things like that to de- how you can de-escalate with weapons. I'm not sure, but to de-escalate the situation. So this gets back to, to Gaza and then the rocket fire started. And this was happening at the end of Ramadan, which is a sacred holiday for the, the Muslim people. So basically while they were trying to worship, the Israeli soldiers were also harming people at the same time. Who was right? Who was wrong? I really am not sure. Um, there's many different perspectives on that. So then just to be, to be clear then. So, uh, this, this, uh, conflict is all, uh, stemming from, is it the Gaza strip? Am I understanding that, uh, correctly? Or is it, is it, it's a, it's a bit of property or it's space that so it, it's property in Jerusalem that, that is, is the main, the main thing. And then you have like the, the Jewish settlements and then you have the Palestinian settlements and this is all in Jerusalem and it's basically over who who owns the land that these sacred places are on basically so then word gets back to Gaza which is run by Hamas a terror organization and they start to launch rockets at I believe the first ones were actually shot at Jerusalem And then they started to shoot at Tel Aviv. Now, Tel Aviv has never been targeted before. And this is like a huge no-no for Israel. That's like if somebody, if the U.S. shot a rocket to Toronto, that's like a no-no. That's a huge main city. You you don't want to do that. And that most likely means war. Generally, if Gaza is shooting rockets, their rockets can't generally get that far. And they would get to, you know, a settlement in the south that is like very close. The fact that they got... so you know, you can believe that these are higher grade rockets, probably um, funded by Russia or Iran. And they were getting as far as Tel Aviv, which is a big red flag. So now Israel has this iron dome that is a technology that basically if a rocket is coming into Israel, the uh, Israeli army will counteract with a different rocket that will explode the rocket in the air and then come to the ground. Now there's still pieces falling to the ground, which can be dangerous, but much less dangerous than rockets coming in. So within 36 hours, there were over a thousand rockets shot into Israel from Gaza. So then the Israeli army started to retaliate. So they generally, they try to be more ethical. And again, you can, you can argue this if you like, but from what I know, they give a warning whenever they um, shoot rockets into Gaza. They give a one hour warning that this specific place is about to be bombed. So get out of the way so that civilians and, and, you know, they try to take away the most casualties and they try to only go for military bases, um, headquarters, houses of, uh, the head of Hamas. However, Hamas knows this. So they like to hide their rockets in places like schools and hospitals and uh, civilian houses because they know that dead bodies equals good news. And if you say in, on CNN, or you know, I'm just saying CNN as an example, but if you say on the mainstream media that Israel shot a rocket at a school, this is an issue, right? Then everybody says that Israel is the bad guy, but they're the ones that are putting their rockets into a school because they want that that news, that media, and then people will start to fund 
save money, you know, save Gaza and they'll, they'll donate a bunch of money to Gaza. It's run by a terror organization that will then take that money and put it for more war. Right. So just to be sure I, I'm understanding that. So Gaza is, is Gaza then run by Hamas? Is that uh, correct? Yes. Okay. And Gaza, it geographically is sort of within uh, the, the state of Israel, but it's technically uh, its own sovereign place. Yes. Uh, and the conflict is stemming from folks, uh, Hamas folks in Gaza and Israel, where rockets are being, you know, exchanged as a result of conflict, which has just escalated. Have I got that more or less uh, accurately? Yeah, that's right. So I believe, you know, the, the citizens of Gaza, they are, they don't want this, you know, I can imagine a lot of them, especially the boy, the young boys or the men, they are probably forced to be militants in this, um, you know, or you die in, in, in war or you die right now if you say no kind of a, a deal. They also have um, this uh, funding program that if someone in your family volunteers to be, let's say, a suicide bomber, then they will fund your family however many thousands of dollars every month. So if a mother knows that her little child is, you know, ill, really sick, is eventually going to die, she will send them to the border to be shot by uh, a milit- an IDF military so that they can say that Israel shot a child and then that family will get money to survive. So again, they're backed into a really hard place and everything, you follow the money every time. So um, that's pretty tragic. And that's kind of how it goes in this specific war or confrontation. Um, Israel was also able to, one of their targets was underground uh, tunnels. So one of the things that they, that serves them is if they can capture um military like Israeli soldiers, because then they can torture them, they can use them as collateral, um, things like this. So Israel tries not to send people in by land by foot, because that sets them up to be very vulnerable. So they try to use, you know, or rockets or by air. Um, So yeah, so they were they were able to get rid of I think it was like 100 kilometers of tunnels that that militants were hiding into to capture or they were having rockets in there. So from what I understand, Israel gives at least one hour before they shoot and they always target they're not, you know, just bombing houses, they always target they have really good intelligence. They always target where there's you know, they, they try to make their rockets worthwhile. They try to make sure that they're getting rid of ammunition or getting rid of, um, you know, someone that is very high up in the, in the terrorist organization. Um, so they're a little bit more, whereas from Gaza, they're just trying to just light up Israel. Um, they're, they're not really trying to, they're not trying to hit military bases. They're going for civilian areas. So that's when Israel thinks that it, you know, it should defend, defend itself. Now, if there's a rocket that's falling into a field, let's say they won't waste a, their, one of their rockets from the iron dome on that. They'll let it fall in the field and, and nobody's harmed, but if it's going to come now, this time there was, I think almost 4,000 rockets within 11 days. So there were a few that hit places um, you know, and killed or injured people that they couldn't, you know, they just couldn't get them all. They were coming in at such a, I don't know if you've seen the videos, but they were coming in like fireworks at such a crazy rate that they were really trying to keep up. 
And then you have, you know, um, then terrorist organizations from Lebanon, from the north, started to shoot rockets to show their um, support for Gaza. So when Lebanon starts to go in, then then we got nervous because Hezbollah is a much bigger organization and they're much more funded. We had also a few rockets from Syria, which Syria is too far that it couldn't really get here. Um, some from Egypt. So, you know, we're surrounded by people that, that don't want the Jewish people to exist. So it's a little bit sketchier when you start to get the bigger countries involved. Um, so, you know, you see, there's so many opinions and stuff on social media and all of this, but what was so upsetting to me is when people were, you know, trying to support Hamas and it's like, you don't understand that they're a terrorist organization. I also feel bad. I go, I went to bed crying every, every night for the women and children of Gaza. Every single night I was crying. Nobody here wants to see Gazans die. Nobody. I can't speak for the Orthodox or the extremists, but you know, the majority of the, of the population doesn't want to see that. But if you want to protect the people of Gaza, you need to start speaking out about the fact that they are run by a terror organization, not by the fact that they shot almost 4,000 rockets into Israel civilian areas and Israel needed to defend itself. Um, You know, it needs to be a much different conversation. But again, then you have all of the media that all over the world, nobody was here. Nobody was talking about Corona. Nobody was talking about vaccines. And guess what? Half of the country spent their time in bunkers, all packed in together with no masks. And guess what? No Corona cases. We have 20 to 30 cases a day. That's it. All of a sudden, Corona didn't spread when there was war. To play devil's advocate, though, folks could could say that, you know, the reason that COVID is not spreading in that circumstance is because most people have been inoculated in Israel. Yeah, you could, but there's also millions that aren't. Mm. And once again, they're not saying that you can't spread COVID with these vaccines. They're saying that it can lessen your symptoms. So the test numbers would still be the same, right? You could still test positive, but have less symptoms. As you see in the U.S., people, you know, you have the baseball players that are testing positive after they've been fully inoculated. You have in um, Michigan, you had like 286 people that were fully vaccinated that tested positive and three died after being fully vaccinated. They're not saying that you can't get it past it. They're saying that it would lower your symptoms. So there was no talk of this, only you know, anti-Semitism all over the world. And then as soon as the ceasefire, nobody talked anymore about Gaza and Palestine and went, or Israel and Palestine and went right back into COVID. So, you know, there, there's many interesting things also of how the media does. But so this was the upsetting thing for me was seeing people that, you know, are sitting in their nice houses in the US talking about this conflict when they're not here, they don't understand. Even me, I'm sitting on a mountain, nice and calm. Um, there was one day that they said that they were going to bomb my city And I lost my shit. I was calling my parents. Okay, you're going to hear on the news probably that my city is bombed. I'm right beside a bunker. We're going to go in. I'm safe. Don't worry about it. Um, You know, I love you guys. It was like such a crazy moment. And in the end, they didn't. But that's what you do with terror, right? They can bomb you or not bomb you. But they say that they're going to do it. And that creates terror. Everybody stopped their lives. Our whole community was sitting beside the bunker, waiting for the siren, waiting to see something coming at us. And running in. That's just as much terror as actually shooting a rocket at us. Describe what it is like having rockets fly overhead. (laughs) So, I mean, where we were, you could see it from from the distance. Um, I have a a girlfriend. She's one of the Israelis that came home with me one summer. So so I have a girlfriend that lives right on the border. Um, And she spent like 
the whole 11 days in a, in a bunker. They had one in their house, but in a bunker, you know, not, she didn't have enough time to cook an egg. You know, it was just like, she was just in this bunker for 11 days, listening to the sirens and the, the explosions. And I can't imagine as an animal, as a child to, to hear that it's probably so traumatizing. But the thing for me is that in Gaza, they don't have an iron dome. And they don't have bunkers. So what breaks my heart is thinking about the people that have nowhere to run that didn't ask to be run by a terror organization. They have nowhere to hide. They have no safe place other than just hoping that the rocket isn't going to land here. And that's it. So, you know, we are as much as it's terrible to be locked in a bunker for a few days, we are so lucky that we have bunkers because the people on the other side that were just born into this place without any choice of their own have nowhere to run and hide. And their organization doesn't care about them. The, the bunker is then underground. Uh, have you got internet or, I mean, what does it, what does it look like? <laughs> no, it, well, it, it depends. So um, a lot of houses here, unfortunately, because this is the reality, they'll have um, bunkers, like one bedroom, let's say will be a bunker. So we'll have a huge thick door and um, like a small window in our area. We have just underground bunkers. So also, you know, we had a bag packed every night in case we needed to run, but the bunker that we would go to is probably too far for us to make on time. So we were just going to hide behind a hotel here. Like we have like a little like hotel, like boutique hotel. So we, we were just going to hide behind a building. Basically, you know, we thought, what do we do? I mean, you can, you can risk running in the open air or you can, um, just go wherever you, you think is going to be good. So Tal just kind of figured, okay, if the rocket is coming from here, we're going to be safest behind this. And we just kind of made a meeting place also with all of our neighbors. But I mean, it's terrifying. And I didn't even need to be in that. Five years ago, I worked in the South in Elat, which is right beside uh, Egypt. And 11 o'clock at night, we were watching TV in our room and we heard boom, 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 boom. Four rockets right above our heads um, collided with the Iron Dome. We didn't hear a siren, nothing. And, uh, and then we went down into a bunker and it's a hotel. So there were tons of guests and kids and, and it was just like the most terrifying thing of my life. I, I sent my parents a message. Hey, there's rockets flying. I'm going into a bunker. I'm safe. I'll call you when it's over. Um, so that was, I think more of when I literally had rockets above my head. Um, so that was, that was terrifying. But again, we have places to hide. The people in Gaza don't. So I think, you know, religion, it can be really divisive also. And like you said, you know, the mask, no mask, this is also very divisive, vaccinated, not vaccinated. It's, it's all just divisive. And again, I think if you zoom out, you need to look at the governments that are doing all of this. This was very timely for our government. Our prime minister, Bibi Netanyahu, is about to lose his power in like a day. And he tried to keep his power. So he did this at a very, very specific time that made certain Muslim religious parties pull out of making a more left-handed government. And that almost ruined it. I think it's going to be saved, but we're still not sure. He's really trying to do everything he can. So it was also the fact that he has so much blood on his hands to stay in power that never needed to happen. That those 11 days never needed to happen. Um, but it was it was strategic for him to stay in power. So so he did it. So I think we need to, again, look at who is dividing us um, more than land or religion, because 
we see videos of people talking in Gaza that they would love to come to Israel and play music and they would love to have peace. And we also would love to be able to travel to Egypt and we would love to be able to go to Lebanon. And, you know, we can't go, we can't cross a border in Canada. You can cross to the U S we can't do that. So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting that there's so many the citizens feel so differently than the government or what the media tells you. Nobody wanted that to happen and nobody was mad at the people of Gaza. You know, we understand that it's run by a terror organization. But again, you have deep teachings of hate and you know, us versus them. So that's also really hard to go to go by and it's a religious country. So you have the religion that's kind of beats everything else. You know, you can't get married here unless you are Jewish. You cannot get legally married in Israel unless you're Jewish. It's a very religious country. So you also have that that to think about. But I, I really want to be clear, clear when I say that the majority of the people here don't want war. They want to live. They want to survive. They want to thrive. They want peace. They want to be able to travel and, uh, and eat the different foods and meet the different people. Um, and I believe also that the people of Gaza don't want that as well. But war is is a good moneymaker. And fear is a good moneymaker. <laughs> yeah, well, fear is a, a good motivator. And, uh, you know, this, this coerciveness is, uh, is ongoing. I'm trying to imagine, a, you know, an eight or nine month pregnant Maureen with a go bag in the middle of the night running to a bunker. What, what are the conversations look like with your family? So first I'm three months <laughs> okay. at the moment. So you're, you're, uh, are you showing at the moment? Are, are you showing as of yet? I don't yet? think so. No. I don't think so. It's the biggest stomach I've ever had, but not really. Okay, but it, probably like after after one of your mom's good meals. <laughs> but a, but after after some uh, you know some a little bit more time you know I, I think um, you know uh, having to get yourself into a bunker and and the stress of bringing a a child into a, a world characterized by unrest is is nerve wracking to say the least. What are the conversations with your f- family and and friends back home look like? Is there, I imagine, invitations for you and Tal to, to return uh, to Canada where there's, you know, a little bit more sense of, uh, of rest or peacetime? Yeah. When I told one of my girlfriends that I was expecting a, a rocket to hit our city, she said, is it selfish that I just want you to come home? And I told her, you know, we have rockets over our heads, but we still have more rights than you guys. So I'm good here. <laughs> Explain that. What, you know, rights, uh, how so? You know, I mean, there's a, there's a lot in the works in Canada, right? You guys are like without any parental consent, vaccinating with experimental vaccines, 12 year olds, trading them ice cream for these experimental vaccines. This is super backwards for me. Toronto has been in lockdown for a year. This is crazy. I can't imagine, you know, Bloor Street and all of the, the places, the, all of the small businesses that are closed down, all of the, you know, immigrants that are really suffering right now that aren't lucky enough to you know, have a condo in Yorkville and, you know, live that kind of life. So I think about the suffering on that, but then you also have, you know, the government that is trying to, um, bring in these sort of, you know, Chinese censorship to, to internet and they've postponed now the elections until the end of the pandemic, whenever they decide that it will be over. I mean, it just seems it's, it's pretty crazy, you know, stay at home orders. I remember having a conversation with my mom at Easter and I asked her why she wasn't going to be with my brother and his family. There are eight people. Okay. Together they would be eight. And she looked at me and said, I don't want to get arrested. And I was like, what country are we living in that you think that eating with your family is going to get you arrested? 
you know, it's just like blows my mind. Um, how much life you're missing out on. I mean, the freedom to travel freely, you guys have, you have the charter of rights, you guys have rights. Um, and, and I just see so many people just lying down, you know, I, I don't want to be in that situation. At least here, when things happen, people are protesting, they're out. Israelis are saying no way when the government is doing something. We just spent a year protesting BB every single Saturday, there was huge protests all over Tal and I went every single Saturday to protest. And then they they made the lockdown so that you could only go a thousand meters from your house. It was all from all of these protests. They tried to control the people, control the people, control the people. So I just see in Canada how complacent and compliant people are. And it just, you know, I, I don't want to live that life. I hope it gets better. But for now, I, I feel much more free here. It's amazing to me to think that, you know, you would, uh, you would opt for rockets overhead and, um, you know, this life of activism. Um, but it reminds me of a really fascinating quote uh, by Benjamin Franklin. He, he said, freedom is not a gift bestowed upon us by other men, but a right that belongs to us by the laws of God and nature. Yes. And, and dangling an experimental vaccine saying you can leave your house. If you take this for me, this is not freedom. This is not the kind of life that I want to live. And again, I need to stress with you. I live on a very quiet mountain. There's not actually rockets over my head. Um, and, and I specifically chose to live here because I said, where can the rockets at both ends not, not hit us. Um, and, and it's not that there's always rockets in Israel, you know, it's, it's really not like that, but, um, I just feel more myself here. I feel more free. And I just see that if we do need to stand up and speak out about, you know, our governments taking us over, that Israel is probably going to get it done a little bit quicker than Canada, as as you see from being in lockdown for a, a year. It's really interesting to hear, you know, that the government in Israel seems to take this pragmatic approach where they look at data on phones and go, okay, well, this is clearly not working. So they change their governance accordingly. Whereas there's a little bit more of a disconnect, it seems here, um, you know, and, and this idea of coercion, you know, get with the program or else, you know, yeah. it's this sort of zero sum, uh, um, you know, authoritarian sort of approach. And that seems to be creeping up all around the world. You know, it, it happened also with Doug Ford when he tried to make it like a police state where pe where police could stop you if you were outside. And I think it was like 36 of the 42 police um, organizations or, or stations said, no, we're not doing this. And then he, he had to back off because if the people aren't listening and nobody's going, going to follow through with it, what you say doesn't matter. So they need to pretend like they're in control, right? The same with when people enter Canada, they started to say, no, I'm not taking a PCR test. No, I'm not doing these quarantine hotels. And they needed to shift it because people weren't complying and they can't let you know that they're out of control. They can't let you know that they're not actually making the shots. There's very few of them and tons of us. So if we decide we've had enough, I think tomorrow if Canada said we've had enough, we're opening, everything is open. We did it in Israel after our third lockdown. Yeah, it does seem rather performative, you know, when the government uh, opts for um, police blockades and sirens, you know, to, to ascribe to... Uh, in know, Canada. Showing, yeah. Yeah. I, in Israel, it wouldn't surprise me, but in Canada, it was like, come on, you got, you know, and I know so many girlfriends that have small businesses and stuff and they're just watching it dwindle. And I'm like, go to a protest, do something. I mean, again, I understand health is health, but are, are the actions matching up? You know, are the actions matching up? Um, and we talk about cases and not deaths and how many asymptomatic, you know, when they say, oh, there's so many cases. Okay. How many are asymptomatic? Well, they don't know. They're just talking about the cases because the bigger numbers sound scarier. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, you know, rather than uh, looking at things that actually work like paid sick days, stay at home if you're feeling unwell, uh, you know, there's this approach that has to do with one size fits all, you know, mask on everybody, everybody stays home or everybody goes out. Well, I, I find it uh, just fascinating that you, you you would gladly opt for you know rockets overhead and living in in a place of unrest with your sense of activism and uh, being involved in you know a, a world where you feel like you have some control over your situation as opposed to taking you know the maybe the the path of least resistance, coming back home, being in a place that's you know rather peaceful, but you know seemingly not as uh, productive in, in, in that being advocate. I don't know. Now I'm just rambling. No, I mean, it makes sense. And again, I hope one day you can come and visit and you'll see, you know, Israel is not, you know, if you turn on the news, it seems like the country's always on fire, but it's really not like that. Um, and, and again, I, I do feel so grateful to have grown up in Canada. I couldn't imagine, you know, growing up with, with rockets and like how we had snow days, they have rocket days. Like they don't go to school if there's rocket warnings. Um, so I can't imagine that's probably way less fun than a snow day. So I can't imagine that. So I, I do feel grateful. And for sure, I think about, you know, our future child growing up in, in this type of, I hope that, uh, it will get better. And I hope that, you know, with the government changing and, and things like this, that it will get better and the people waking up. But, um, yeah, let's see in a few years, you know, maybe Canada will get out of whatever it's in now and it will be, you know, seem more um, attractive to to live there. But I, I love it and I miss the people there. But I, I just feel more myself here. I feel like I was drawn here for a reason. I feel like I grew up learning, you know, as a as a Christian girl, learning about Israel and Jesus. And you know, again, I'm, I'm much more spiritual than I'm religious these days. But um, there's something, something about this place that's very special. And, uh, I don't side with the Jewish people. I don't side with the Palestinian people. I side with human beings. I side with, you know, I don't side with the vaccinated, unvaccinated mass, not mass free rights for everybody, human rights, right to live, right to move freely, right to make your living. And that's it. I, you know, I think that resonates, you know, with, with everybody. I mean, who, who could dispute uh, those words of kindness? <laughs> there are people that would try. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah, I guess it's certainly in your neck of the woods, but uh, that hostility seems to be growing all around the world. Let's end on a, uh, a note of gratitude and mm. positivity and, uh, you know, f- f- mindful that you're bringing a new life into the world. Um, what is it, you know, that you're looking forward to most and what is it that you're grateful for, uh, despite the hostility all around you? Hmm. What I'm looking forward to most is, you know, raising the next generation of, of human beings that are connected. Our child will not have a religion, which is the cool thing. So Judaism runs through the mother, Christianity through the father. So our child will be religionless, which I love. Um, hoping that they are connected to themselves and find God within themselves, not the God that we learn about, but the true God. Um, that is what I'm most excited for is to connect people, you know, through anything that I do, yoga, circus, movement, child rearing, whatever it might be, um, just to focus on, on oneness, on discernment, on critical thinking 
and on true connection and love. And I am most grateful for um, the connections that I've made, specifically technology. I think technology, you know, it has a bad rep sometimes, but I'm so so grateful that I can speak with you and connect with you and I can live in Israel and still see my nieces and nephews and I can still speak with my best friends and my parents um, and that there's still a way through through all of this that they'll be able to watch my child grow. Um, so I feel very grateful for where things are going and I feel um, I always when I wonder why, I'm here, you know, if I feel like I'm overwhelmed by the rockets or the heatedness of the country or the, you know, government corruption. And I wonder why I'm here. This quote, and I don't know who said it, um, but I, I keep hearing this quote in my head that says, you've come to the room to change the room. So I believe that this gentle, emotional, fragile Canadian is in this country to change the energy here and to, to create something, um, to create something new. I don't, I mean, I can't think of a, of a better way to, uh, to wrap up our conversation. It's amazing to me, um, you know, how far you've come from small town, small little village where we grew up to, you know, talking about world affairs and, uh, you know, the philosophy of God and religion. Um, yeah, I'm so proud of you, Mo. I'm proud of you too. How far we've come huh? together. I love this. And you having a podcast is like, perfect. I mean, it's just, perfectly you. And uh, thank you so much for having me. I want to uh, just give you the opportunity to, to well, give the last word and to plug anything. Uh, if folks want to check you out, is there uh, a website that, that we can include? Or is there anything that you, parting words, advice you'd give to folks who might be hesitant about the, the vaccine? What, what do you want to plug? Mm, okay, so well, I would just like to, I mean, if you're interested in, in, what I had to say or what we do, um, you know, only with love. I'm not here to to debate anybody's perspectives, but you can check out our website, www.circus-monkeys.com. You can check us out on Instagram, also Circus Monkeys. Um, and in terms of, you know, anything that's going on these days, I would say use your discernment, your critical thinking, facts over fear, go with your experience and really go with your, your true feeling, because I think energy is so strong. If you really want to get vaccinated and you believe that that is something that is going to help to heal you. So go for it. And if you are not feeling like that is something that aligns with you, so don't do it no matter who tries to, to talk you into it or, you know, how many free ice creams, donuts, free beer, millions of dollars they give you um, really just check in with yourself and with what feels right for your health take care of yourself first. If you're drinking every day and you think that some injection is going to make you healthy, it's just not true. Um, if you're smoking every day and you think that an injection is going to make you healthy, it's just not true. There's so many ways that you can help with your health. You know, I would suggest Wim Hof breathing, yoga, grounding, all of these things probably sound so hippie, but the research is there more than the mask research is there. So I would highly, highly suggest just starting a more authentic organic life and really taking your health into your own hands. Um, you don't need to listen to any fear and, um, and just be gentle to everybody. Everybody feels differently. Everybody's going through their own thing. So just, you know, you're allowed to have your opinion and, and other people's are allowed to have their opinions and experiences. So just be gentle to each other. The world needs more love. That's it. 
a, a word of kindness and a message of wellness. I'm so grateful <laughs> for your time, Maureen. Thanks for coming on and all of the best to you and uh, this exciting new life you're bringing into the world. Thanks, Mike. I love you. Thanks for having me.